Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome to this thing called life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and we are super excited to have you here with us today. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that November 13th through 15th is National Donor Sabbath, which is a time when all people of all different faiths come together and pause to recognize the miracle of organ, eye, and tissue donation. And also as a reminder, all major religions support organ, eye, and tissue donation as a final act of giving. So if you're interested in having materials or speaker or video, please visit our website at lifepassiton.org and we will get you all set up. Uh, We have a lot of great resources uh, to help people learn more about the gift of life. All right, so with that, welcome Chris Grigsby. How are you? Hi. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm really happy that you're here on the show today and just excited for you to share with listeners um, a little bit about yourself and kind of your connection with donation. Yeah, I always like to talk about our story um, because in my perspective, the organ transplant story is not just the one of the recipient or the giver. It's also all the people that are affected around that. And so, um, you know, I'm always eligible and more than willing to talk about what we have been through and how that has impacted our lives. Well, I appreciate that. One of the things that I love about you is obviously we're Facebook friends. um, And I always appreciate your candidness about your experience uh, with donation. um, Because I think that you are very realistic and honest and I just, I appreciate you, you know, being that way because I think people need to understand this is not, it's not an instant fix and, you know, there, there's ups and downs and, you know, there's a lot that people go through when they do receive a transplant. So I'd love for you to share with listeners, you know, your story. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I I think um, even myself prior to this experience, you felt like, oh, somebody gets a transplant, it fixes their problem, and then they move on. And like, you don't really hear about that next step or what's left. Um, and while there's some really great stories, there's also some unfortunate stories. And then there's like bumps in between. So you can still have a great story, but there's still a lot of bumps. Which is life, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so I try to um, be transparent with those. Obviously, we um, are a family and sometimes we may hold out, but eventually I will tell the story because um, we do have two children. So just a little bit about us. 
my husband is Joe and Joe has cystic fibrosis. Um, he was diagnosed at six months. And at that time, back in the eighties, um, they basically said he wouldn't really live past like uh, primary school. And then wow. as science like continued to evolve, medicine continued to evolve. They moved that to like junior high and then high school and then 20 and then 25. And then they finally said like, we don't know. But what we do know is that cystic fibrosis will destroy your lungs eventually you know the Mm -hmm. timeline on that has has been elongated but it's not something you're going to be able to live your whole life with because he does have the most prominent gene mutation for cystic fibrosis and so we knew that that was something we were going to have to deal with but we decided Mm -hmm. we'll deal with it as it comes and so Mm -hmm. I'm sure other listeners are in the same scenario whether it be for your lungs or your heart or kidney disease and different things like that so you just deal with it and take life as it comes. So we got married. We were married for a couple of years. We have um, two children um, mm-hmm. that are twins. And at the time of our organ donation story started, they were probably like two. So they didn't obviously know of anything what was going on. But what they did know is that dad needed a lot of medication. Dad needed breathing treatments. Dad needed extra help or support or different things. And that was like their normal. Mm-hmm. So you know, they didn't know a healthy dad, like totally healthy. And so, you know, he would have times where he would have to go to the hospital a couple times a year for what we call a tune-up, um, you know, get some good antibi- antibiotics and different mm-hmm. things to help him. Um, so when they were three, the transplant process really sped up. And so he had gotten down to about 20 to 30 percent lung capacity so Mm -hmm. that's about 20 to 30 percent of his lungs working and um, they said you know we can't let you get much lower without talking about transplantation because there are so many tests and things that you need to go through to get ready for this Mm -hmm. and so the kids were three we had some um, bumps along that road as well with insurance and so this was was what 2012 wow Wow. And so I think 2012, I think it's important for listeners to know lung transplants are kidney transplants. Yes, we hear a lot about kidney transplants and probably know many patients who've received transplants. Um, Lung transplant, that's a little more on the rare side, right? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, you don't hear about them as much. I think when you get into a little bit more of the major organs of like the lungs and the heart, that we actually do need a donor who has, has passed away, it becomes a little bit more rare and a little bit less heard about in the transplant community than maybe the kidney or the liver where you could receive um, a gift from a deceased donor, or you could get a gift from a living donor. So it is a little bit more rare. Right, right. So continue. I'm sorry. I just wanted to highlight that because I think that's important, you know, for people to realize. And and it is, I mean, I think all transplant surgeries are difficult surgeries, but this is, this is particularly difficult. Yes, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I know, you know, firsthand. I mean, so so it's like you're newly, newly married, young children, Mm-hmm. But walking in, you knew this is, this is, you know, I'm going to walk with Joe through this and we're going to do this together, uh, which I think is amazing right. on your part. Cause that could be really scary, especially, I mean, you're, you're young, you're just starting out and, you know, 
So, right. Kudos to it you. Definitely wasn't the typical road. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely wasn't the more typical road of newlyweds or a new family and things, but it's just what it was. Right. Um, so we just, like I said before, take the cards as we were dealt and, and move forward. So Joe was actually um, officially put on the transplant donation list on um, November the 22nd because of his blood type. We were fortunate enough that his weight wasn't as long as some others. And so oftentimes the weight, you know, could be six months to a year, um, depending on blood type availability, how many organ donors, those types of of different things we can't really control. Mm -hmm. Um, But because of his blood type, we actually, he was transplanted on January 30th of 2013. Um, So just a little over seven years ago. Um, The kids had just turned four in Mm -hmm. December. And so they still didn't quite know what was going on. Um, It's really hard to describe that to a four-year-old. And, you know, they don't quite know what lungs are, let alone, you know, how we're going to take them out and replace (laughs) them. And that's going to get all better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So he, he had his transplant. Everything went really well. We actually had our transplant about two hours away from our home. And so we were there for six weeks and we didn't see our children for five of those weeks. Um, They were fortunate enough to stay with my mother, but Joe was really successful in the um, surgery and recuperation. He had a very great team with a great um, surgeon. Um, he actually, uh, walked 150 feet, 16 hours after having his lung transplant. Wow. And so, yeah, he is super determined. Um, he is. He is. And so was, you know, was <laughs> determined to make this work. So, um, you know, part of transplantation is making sure you're healthy and part of being healthy is just getting up and walking sometimes just the short little distance. And so that was the first step that he took that really said, I'm going to do the best I can with this gift I've been given. Yes. Yes. So how, how has it been for all of you since Joe's transplant? I think, you know, kind of talking towards the supporter side, one thing that I had to quickly do is that for all those months and even probably years prior to the transplant, I wasn't just his wife. I was like his caregiver. And so I kind of did two roles. And after transplant, after that initial healing and things, I had to remember that he could do things too. Mm. Um, So I was so used to taking care of the kids and doing everything and, you know, the house and the cooking and the lawn and everything because he really couldn't do anything, I had to remember that I could tell the kids to go ask daddy. Yeah. <laughs> and so not only was that better for me, but it was better for him too, because he yeah. felt like he could do it and he was able. So I want to be a part of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so that was one big change that kind of had to happen mindset that I didn't really prepare for. I didn't right. think about what it was going to be like, or that I would have to necessarily change so much. So that was something big. The other things that kind of came about was with having cystic fibrosis or any other disease that you had prior to transplant, Joe knew his disease very well and he knew what drugs to take and he knew how to manage it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, 
all of the ins and outs of it. And then in 12 hours, everything changed. Um, so most of the, the CF medications he didn't need anymore because his lungs, his new donor lungs do not have cystic fibrosis. Right. And so his body still does, but his lungs do not. And so that's something that, you know, with any transplant, when you transplant that organ, it's not sick anymore, but the rest of your body could still be affected by whatever the initial problem was. Right. So he came out of the hospital with 17 different medications and only mm -hmm. a couple of those were things he knew about. Really? So, so that really yeah. was just kind of rewiring everything. <laughs> everything. Wow. Um, new medications we've never heard of. Medications that he didn't know how were going to impact his body. Right. Or what would happen if he forgot or what would happen if it was too high or too low or, you know, and he knew all that with his cystic fibrosis drugs. And so that mm -hmm. was something that both of us had to figure out that being that caregiver, I knew to watch for certain symptoms. I knew mm -hmm. to watch for um, things that he may be doing that could be a sign that he wasn't feeling well, mm -hmm. um, but all of that was different. And so we really had to try to change and learn a new way of medications in life. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's, I mean, you know, I just, I know I keep saying, wow, but you know, I just, I put myself in your shoes for a, a moment. You know, you're a wife and a mother and caregiver as well. And, you know, marriage is, marriage is tough on its own. And so I can imagine that, that, that had to be, that had to be difficult. And so can you tell listeners just what are some of the strategies that have helped you over the years? And, you know, when you have those tough days and how do you manage that? Cause I'm sure that there's listeners who are like, wow, she's superwoman. And how does she, how does she pull this off every day? I know I'm thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I usually don't think that. Um, and some days are way easier than others. Um, as everybody um, handles it differently and has different types of days. But um, some of the things that I did was I continued to work partially because we needed insurance. You know, oftentimes yeah. the caregiver has to continue working because they're the insurance holder. So I knew with him having cystic fibrosis, consistent insurance was a big deal for us. Right. So I worked full time during the whole process and actually had um, worked the day that we got called for a transplant. And so that actually helped where a lot of people say that's a lot. It was a lot, but it helped because when I went to work, I could put on my work hat and I could be like a normal worker who were helping clients who were doing this thing. And I kind of got to push that aside, my like private life sure. or this transplant and things like that, which gave me like my brain some relief of, of feeling that fatigue. That's not to say that on the way to work or on the way home from work, I, I had a little meltdown or I had yeah. a tough time, but um, right. work kind of helped with some of that. I've also learned to say yes when people want to help. For a very long time, Joe was very independent and mm -hmm. I'm usually pretty independent myself. Mm -hmm. And so we had to learn, both of us, that when things happen, sometimes you just have to say, I appreciate anything you can do for me. And if that's making me a meal, watching my kids, I had people that had never met my children, you know, keep them for a night so we could go on a date night. I had, I had all kinds of different um, people that just stood up and said, Hey, here's a gift card or here's a meal or here's something. 
And I had to learn that, um, you know, that was helping me, but it was also helping them because people really do want to help and they really do want to, um, help your situation become a little easier and, you know, allowing people to do that and being okay with that was a huge thing that Joe and I had to figure out. Oh, that's great. That's that, you know, being vulnerable and, you know, people, and I know sometimes people are like, Ooh, like the way that feels, but, (laughs) but it really, it's, Mm -hmm. it, it is a good thing. And it's, you know, it is, kind of another layer of support for you and for your families, you know, so I think that that, that's great. That's great. So do you and Joe know who Joe's donor was? Yeah, we actually do. We did not know um, who his donor was for about two years. Um, His scenario was a little bit different that what we found out afterwards was that when we were in pre-transplant surgery, pre-op and preparing for the surgery, we were watching the news. And unfortunately, we were watching the accident that caused the death of his his donor. Wow. And we didn't know that. And so we found that out later, but we got to finally start communicating with his mother. It took a little bit of time because she had moved in that two years from his, from the actual transplant day and the the passing of her son to us actually talking to her. And so when we worked with our social worker and, and people that can help you make that connection, they were sending letters, but we didn't realize that they weren't going to the right place. So um, we finally got connected with the right address and things. And we were able to start communicating with um, our donor's mother. Um, Our donor is Alan and um, we definitely have pictures and not, knowledge and uh, stories about him now. And now we regularly communicate with his mother and his brother. And so he actually saved several people's lives that day. And we are very active with his mother and communicating with her and of course showing our appreciation because we can't show it enough, but it's so nice to kind of have this extended family that you get when this happens. Um, of course, we would love for her to have her son, um, yeah. but selfishly, I'm appreciative that I have my husband. And so mm-hmm. it's always a catch-22, and it's something that you have to be okay with, that someone gave you the ultimate gift, and we're never going to meet him. And yeah. and he wasn't going, he, he doesn't get to live to his full potential um, right. because he was young. And so mm-hmm. that's something that definitely weighs on you, and you have to be able to be prepared for some of that mental change that happens, but it is so nice to be able to talk to Mary and his brother and um, chat with them and share with them like the good thing that happened because of this tragic accident. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she has met our children and we try to get together with another recipient and them like yearly and just check up on each other and stay involved in each other's lives. Wow. I I love that. I mean, that just to me, that again, (laughs) speaks to that I mean, it's, I think in a way you're providing support for his mom and that, you know, she's realizing that her son was able to help other people and her meeting your children. And I mean, that, that's got to right. be very impactful for her. And then equally for you all to be able to, you know, see her and spend time, you know, and say thank you and right. express that gratitude that just... Wow. 
So thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's really helped. I mean, it's helped her grieving process. That process is never fully done for her, but right. it's helped us too, because you're so excited for your new life and you're so excited for your new organ that's going to give you this new ability. I mean, I remember the first time I saw Joe right after a transplant and his skin was like pink again and he was like breathing and his chest was moving. And those were all things I hadn't seen in a very long time. So you're so excited. But then on the other hand, there's just this sorrow that you feel for somebody else because you know that you know, there's somebody else not feeling that excitement on the other right. side. And so it's kind of healing for all of us to be um, kind of on the same road together and explore it together. And, and it's nice to know that his mom is, you know, supportive and excited yeah. and is excited that our kids get a, a dad and, you yeah. know, that all feels so good. And so it just helps the the whole story come full circle. Yeah. So... What so what what has Joe's transplant, what has that meant for you and your family? What are you getting, you know, what is what are you getting to do now that you weren't able to do before? What you know, talk tell us a little bit about that. So like I said, the kids were four when he was transplanted. So there was still a lot of life that they hadn't even started to to explore yet. And quickly, within a couple of months after him having his transplant, when he came back home, the first, some of the first things we did was just like cook in the kitchen. I have a picture of just him standing at the stove cooking because he hadn't cooked in so long and he likes to, and you know, we can be in a, in the kitchen together as a family and make a meal. But that, you know, he was transplanted in January. And so that August, it started kindergarten. And yeah. so he walked a with us to the bus stop and they got to go to their first day of school and have their dad, you know, wave to them on the bus and all that excitement in that first day. Um, they're in sixth grade now. <laughs> and so uh, we're definitely to like the preteen age. And so just that's a lot of time. Like personally, when I think about our seven years, I think, wow, seven years. And sometimes it feels like a blink of an eye. But then when I think about kindergarten to sixth grade, that feels very long to me. That's amazing. <laughs> and so we did things. I know. That is amazing. <laughs> I just, I remember like, when they were little, you know, <laughs> to see those kids and how tall they're getting and looking like little teenagers. Um, Right. Yeah. And what's been fun? I know <laughs> it's serious writing. <laughs> what has been fun is to watch them. Like I said, they've never not known a difference. They've never not known a dad that was sick. And so um, I like, you know, Facebook memories or, you know, time hop memories or whatever that you want to use um, is really awesome. And um, a few weeks ago, there was a memory that happened like a year ago, and I still love it, is that um, we were talking in the car one day and um, we were just driving along and Joe said something about not being able to ride a bicycle or to be active and different things. And our son said, but dad, you've always been active. And he doesn't remember the time when Joe wasn't active because right. they were so young and he's received seven years of life. Right. So that makes a huge difference to me is they don't remember a sick dad. They right. remember a fun dad that's done activities and went on trips and take walks and bike rides and you know that kind of stuff, like normal stuff. They know about that. Right. Right. Wow. So to anyone listening 
um, who is getting ready to embark on this this donation journey with you know their spouse or loved one, you know, mother, what have you. What what would be what would be Chris Grigsby's advice to them? I think my advice would be a little bit twofold, but one of them would be to accept the help. I think it took us too long to accept the help and to talk about things um, that were going on. Um, So accept the help and be vulnerable and talk about it. Um, That is a big thing just because you can't do this process alone. Um, And no matter what organ you're waiting for, or the reason why you're waiting for the organ, um, you know, there are trials and tribulations through that whole process. So just accept the help, reach out to people, and they want to help you. So I'd say that. But I would also say this transplant thing is a huge ride. Um, I I feel like it's like the biggest roller coaster that I've ever been on. Um, There's ups and downs, excitement of being put on the list to the downs of not getting a phone call for weeks or months, to the ups of getting transplanted, to the downs of other issues that come along because of transplant, to the ups of being able to do things, to downs to reactions to medications and how they make um, the recipient feel and, you know, what it changes in them. And so it's just all, there's always kind of something going on and it's Mm -hmm. a roller coaster and you have to be committed to the the whole coaster. You can't jump off of the roller coaster at the top. (laughs) Can't jump off of the beast. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) And so you just have to know it's a commitment. Like it just is what it is. And so open communication um, about that has really helped. Um, Good. That talking to your loved one who's receiving and how they're feeling helps put perspective because I mean, I've been through this and I feel like, like I said before, that this isn't just Joe's journey. It's like our family's journey, It is. but I still don't know exactly how he feels. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have somebody else's lungs in my body and I Mm -hmm. haven't been through that. And I don't take all those medications and, you know, so I don't know what he feels unless we talk about it. So being open and honest conversation. So I guess I had three points there. Okay. (laughs) And that's just fine. Do you, so do you ever get people who reach out to you on Facebook who are, along, you know, dealing with something similar? Yeah, we do have people that reach out to us. Um, And ironically enough, um, we're very active with our church. um, And our pastor and his wife had went to a different town city to to do a a session and things. And they came back and they were like, hey, we met this lady and her daughter has cystic fibrosis. And she is really concerned about this whole possible transplant thing. Can you call her? So now we have a friend in Alaska. Wow. And so, yeah, it's amazing the people that you get to know. And so he is part of transplant groups. I'm part of um, supporters and wife groups and things. Good. Um, but we get people just reach out and say, has your person done this? Or have you experienced that? Or is it always this hard? Or is it always this fun? Like right. to be able to talk to those people. And so there's been several people that we've been put together with, whether it be through Life Center or through the transplant games or different um, scenarios that we've kind of volunteered at, that people say, hey, I think you need to meet them. Um, yeah. And, you know, sometimes people will put us together, but then we definitely get people that reach out and just say, hey, I saw your name on a Facebook post or I saw your name linked to something and they reach out and ask some questions. And so we're always more than happy to talk about it. Oh, 
And I think that's so important just, you know, because I think people can learn so much. Um, yeah. <laughs> just from what you have experienced and your family has experienced. And, you know, like, I, like he said earlier, it's like the, this transplant didn't just happen to Joe. It happened to your whole family. And right. it really was transformative in a lot of ways. So, so I appreciate you sharing, you know, because it's personal. I appreciate you sharing that that with listeners because I think that people will learn from it and hopefully realize that, you know, there's there's a community out there to support what they're going through and, and to lean in for help and, and be vulnerable. So thank you for that. Um, so we're going to switch gears. And um, so recently you and I were emailing and just chit-chatting about the podcast and you brought up to me you shared an experience that you had with regards to the recent passing of your grandfather and so we got to talking and I thought this would be something um, really important to share with listeners just to give them a little bit more information with respect to the donation process and sometimes um, some of the barriers that we encounter uh, when we're uh, working to honor the wishes of the person who's passed away. So would love for you to jump in and share that with our listeners. Yeah, like I said, that we have been always very open about our process and how, how organ donation has impacted us. And what we find is that a lot of people say, because of what you've said, or because I watched this, I signed up to be an organ donor. I just made sure I was an organ donor, or I talked to my family. I had several people say, I've changed my mind. And so in our world, there was a lot of positive things about organ donation. People were saying that, you know, because of what they've seen, or because of the exposure that, you know, now you get when you know somebody who has had a, a transplant, they, they wanted to help and they want to help um, any way they could. And so um, my grandmother passed away several years ago and my grandfather then, you know, was by himself. So about two years ago, he got remarried to a wonderful lady and um, they were, you know, spending their life together. And unfortunately back in February, he got ill and, got some medicine things, and it didn't quite kick whatever he had. Luckily, we know that it was not COVID, but there was something else going on. And mm -hmm. so he was put in the hospital, but it was right at the time when COVID kind of hit. And so we weren't allowed to be in the hospital with him. We weren't allowed to spend time with him or you know anything like that, which makes it super hard. And anybody that's out there that's went through that knows that that is one of the harder things that we've had to do during this like lockdown and quarantine and things. So yeah. he was sick and he just getting more sick and the, they couldn't figure out why. And unfortunately he passed away um, in April. And so oh, his sorry. wife, um, you know, going through this process, yeah, she, you know, all of us were affected by it, but she had been married to him about a year and a half. And this is not something that anybody plans for, you know, you, you make plans for the future. And so it kind of caught everybody off guard because it happened so fast mm -hmm. um, and he was doing very well and then got sick and we, and it just, it just didn't work out well. Um, so when he passed away, it, he was in the hospital and they called and um, his children and his wife got to come and say their goodbyes. And the hospital asked her if 
he wanted to be a tissue and eye donor. So Mm -hmm. to help enhance somebody's life that because of his sickness and things, he couldn't be an organ donor, but he could still donate and help somebody. And so she knew his wishes, but in that moment of her losing her husband and the, the whole, you know, out of the box scenario that just happened to all of us. She was flustered. Yeah. Yeah. She was just very flustered and shocked and it's just a hard time. So she decided that she would just think about it for a few minutes because she just felt like, you know, I, I gotta be okay with this whole scenario. And it's just, she's just in shock. Um, so she decided, you know, this is all in the middle of the night too. So that, makes it even rougher it's not a good scenario but yeah when you're sleep deprived and you've been worrying and in the shock so she called the funeral home to let know that he had passed away and that obviously we're going to need their services and unfortunately the funeral home director told her that she didn't want him to be an organ donor and unfortunately gave her some very like what i would call horrific advice that was false and she in her moment of panic and sleep deprivation and just the whole situation then in turn said no to his to his transplant abilities and his donation abilities um, to enhance somebody's life and i talked to her prior to talking about this because i i wanted to be um okay with everyone talking, you know, with all of us talking about the scenario. But the thing that she said was that that funeral director made her feel so horrible. And now she has to live with the guilt that she didn't make the decision that he wanted her to make, that she doesn't want people to live like that. And so in our world, we were hearing like, oh, because of you, we've changed our minds or we've, organ donation is great. So everything felt really positive and people were getting on the organ donation bandwagon. And all right. of a sudden, this miseducated person comes in and kind of just like disrupts everything that we had thought about. Right. Um, and unfortunately, not everybody knows all of the facts about organ donation. And what right. he said was not true. And so he had an impact on somebody's life at the worst point of their life because he was miseducated. And so that's right. something that obviously has brought light to the myself and Joe and our family need to continue yeah. talking about organ donation to spread yeah. the right news and the right. right facts because what he did was not acceptable. Right. And so that's what you and I were talking about. And one of the things I had shared with you was that actually that's not as rare as you might think it would be. But as you're sharing your story, a couple of things come to my mind, which are the fact that your grandma, or your sorry, your grandfather, who I'm assuming was in his 70s when he passed away. Yeah, he was away. 77. So the fact that away. your grandfather had the opportunity to help other people through the gift of cornea donation um, at that age, mm-hmm. I think is amazing um, because there are folks out there that believe you can't be a donor after a certain age or you can't be a donor if you know you're sick and so that was point number one I wanted to highlight to our listeners you're never too old to donate and you should never rule yourself out but the second part with this that really bothered me is you know I believe that a funeral home as well as a life center and life center is what we call an organ procurement organization and we support families 
uh, whose loved ones are able to become donors. Our number one responsibility, both for us and for the funeral home, is to support the family during this really difficult time. And when you were describing what happened um, to your grandfather's wife, I just felt like, wow, there's no support there. And, and why is that? And so uh, one of the things that I've learned during my time here at Life Center is that we do encounter funeral homes sometimes that do impose their will, if you will, on um, customers that they're working with, on families that they're working with when in regards to donation. And it's really unfortunate. I think sometimes there's that tendency that they think there'll be more work to do um, in terms of body reconstruction if the person is a donor, um, which, you know, there is, but it's, you know, we work really closely and we, we work to make sure that the body is, is the, the whole process is very respectable and the, the um, decedent is presentable. And we, we really try to work hard with the funeral home to make sure um, that that happens. And, but sometimes I think it just, that gets lost in translation and people are just trying to move through the process really quickly. And I think the people that it most impacts are people like your grandfather's wife, which I was just, I was really sorry to hear that. And, and that she was left with that, that feeling because that's not what that's not what this should be about right it it was disheartening to me for a lot of the reasons why you've all you've already stated but just the fact that you know he he had pre-arranged for this funeral home to take care of him after his wife had passed away they kind of took care of everything and so he had put his into them to take care of his wishes the way he wanted and that was his wish um, he saw both both of my grandparents saw the impact that organ donation had and they said yes sign me up and in fact they are ones that changed their mind because of the impact that Alan gave to Joe and because you put your trust into somebody and then they don't you know help you through that process was really disheartening. And it really made us think as a family about um, asking different questions now when we go to seek services, to yeah. asking, you know, what people's beliefs are or how they would be helping. So it really kind of framed how we do business with those types of services differently because it definitely put a bad taste in the rest of the family's mouth right. of, of, you know, would we be okay with using them again? And right. unfortunately, that's probably a no because right, what they did just wasn't appropriate. And yeah, and, and it's bad customer service. I think at the yeah. end of the day, and again, if you're if if you're supposed to be supporting the family, how how is that providing support? And so, yeah, I, I, disheartening is the word that comes to mind for me as well. But I really wanted you to share that story because on. Um, our end of things, we encounter that quite a bit. And so I just when I, I just thought to get kind of that public facing perspective on that would be great for our listeners to hear. And, and I think it's just important that listeners remember to advocate for themselves and advocate for their loved ones. And sometimes we feel like we're put in these positions of maybe feeling a little inferior or just you're you know you're in a vulnerable position and 
there are moments where you just have to stand up and say, no, this is this is what my loved one wanted and I'm going to honor honor their decision. So I just I really appreciate you sharing that and allowing and your your grandfather's wife allowing you to share that story. So you were telling me before we got started today that you also have another aspect <laughs> to, to donation, and I'd love for you to, to share that as well. Yeah, so not only did my husband get, his life was saved ultimately because of donation, um, and then um, the unfortunate experience that we had, but his mom um, has also been impacted by donation. And so the the nice thing is, is that, you know, like I mentioned, my grandfather, he wasn't in the ability to give an organ to save a life, but he was in the, the ability to, to enhance a life. And that mm-hmm. sometimes comes through tissues and things like that, but it also can come in corneas. And so my mother-in-law actually got an infection in her eye. Unfortunately, it was there for years and they've been trying oh, to wow. treat it. And it, it just was one of those that just is not going to go away. And unfortunately it kind of continued to erode the ability to see um, through multiple different facets. And so she has actually received a cornea transplant and can see out of that eye now um, because of that cornea transplant. And so it didn't save her life, but it certainly enhanced because Absolutely. she's still here, you know, seeing both eyes and still able to drive and to function and do all of the things that she needs to do. Right. Um, because of somebody else. And so, you know, it, many people have told me, well, uh, you know, I'm sick and so I can't give, or, um, I've already been told my organs aren't good or, you know, and so the thing that I always tell people is, well, you leave that up to the medical professionals (laughs) yeah, (laughs) because you never know what is actually going to happen. But even if you get to the point and you say, I'm an organ donor and your organs aren't usable, it can help and change somebody's life so much with the corneas or the tissue or the other things that you can do. So you're not saving their life, but certainly you're saving their ability to do their normal everyday activity. And I think when it comes down to it, that's what all of us want to be able to do is just work and do our normal everyday activity. Right. Um, So she, um, it doesn't talk about a whole lot because she sure. got her transplant and it just works, but and it she kept it moving. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I think that's such a great story because many people don't realize the impact of tissue and cornea donation, you know, because we hear so much about organ, but tissue donation, one tissue donor has the ability to help up to 50 people through bone, through skin, through tendons, heart valves. There's there's just so many different uh, uses for tissue. And that for me was the big like, wow, I didn't realize that um, until I started working here. And, you know, people who are suffering from debilitating, you know, injuries or what have you, these tissue transplants have really gone on to save their lives um, and give them a quality of life that they haven't haven't had in so long and have been suffering in pain. And then burn victims, skin helps those who are recovering from uh, serious burns. Um, again, I don't think people realize that. And then of course, cornea, having the ability to help, you know, people uh, have their sight restored. 
Uh, the bone is also used for dental procedures. Like if someone has an implant, chances are that came from a cadaver bone. Um, so I just, for a, a lot of different reasons, I was like, oh, I got to have Chris come on to talk about that experience. <laughs> but and then also highlight why, you know, why tissue donation is so important. So thank you for doing that. So is there anything else that you want to leave with our listeners? I think the, the main thing that um, myself and Joe always try to leave with anybody that we're talking to, and we've done quite a few you know, speaking engagements or different things, is that for one, let the medical professionals do their job. Um, <laughs> that too many people we talk to say, well, I can't because, and really um, there are so many different scenarios and science changes so quickly that um, we have seen scenarios where when Joe was transplanted, that wouldn't been acceptable, but now it is because we have, we have better science to um, help that situation. And so really, I would say, if you've thought, I don't think I can just let somebody else say if you actually are or not. So really, you just need to make the decision. Do I want to be a donor or not? And mm-hmm. let somebody else, you know, come up with the hard science portion of it. Yeah. Um, another thing is that, you know, to those transplant families and donor families and things is that, you know, transplant is not a fix. Um, it's a really good band-aid. It fixes some problems. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's not the cure for all of the problems and problems still come up. And so certainly when we're talking, we don't, it's not all roses. <laughs> and so no. while and we're again, super excited, yep. <laughs> that's why, that's why I wanted to have you on because I think you just, you don't sugarcoat it, you know, and I think that's important. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great that he's here and we wouldn't want it any other way. Right. Absolutely. But there have been times where it has been super rough. Like we had mm-hmm. to go back to those support groups and say, here's what's going on and we need help. And, you know, lean on our medical team um, and literally a team because it has included 20 or more doctors to kind mm-hmm. of work through some of the issues that came up. And some of them are directly related to transplant and are, some of them are like, kind of related to transplant that yeah. if you wouldn't have had the transplant then you wouldn't have been on that and you you know you wouldn't, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have went through that process yes right. and so um it's just a roller coaster and to reach out make that that connection with other people and those people you can lean on to ride the roller coaster together right and just be open be open to receiving you know the help yes. and the support right So I want to close with, I always ask guests just some questions so that people can get to know you a little bit better. So I just have like a few questions I want to ask. What are you currently reading? And if you're not reading, that's okay. (laughs) We won't judge you. I'm currently reading um, a Fanny Flag book because I actually really like books who again, kind of take me out of my day-to-day maybe stressors and things. And so she's a really fun writer and things. So I'm, I can't remember the name of the book, but it's, um, you know, just something to kind of get me out of my normal day-to-day with two 11-year-olds and a transplant family. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Good, good. Um, now, do you read traditional books or are you a Kindle girl, Audible? Well, I 
tend to listen to books, whether it be through the library or Audible or something like that. My Fanny Flag book is actually a book, but I will say I've been trying to read it for like four months and I'm still reading it. So you sound um, like that's me. <laughs> probably not the best method for me, but I did. I chose that one for that book. So um, I tend to listen to more books while I'm working and things or okay. you know, doing okay. chores around the house. So that's what I like best. So Chris, what's one goal that you have for this year? I think like everybody else at some points um, with two kids and hybrid learning and transplant and illness and things, it's just to survive sometimes just to be quite honest, but you know, some of the things that, (laughs) some of the things that besides that, you know, and that's a little bit on the humor kind of side and Mm -hmm. things, but still a bit realistic is that, you know, even though it hasn't been a normal year and it hasn't been um, maybe how we want it, um, I think there's room for continuing to grow close to your family and having that family time and still making memories, even in restricted times. And so that's kind of been our goal um, or my goal for our kids and for our family is how can we still make memories and do things even when maybe we are not going on vacation or not you know, going to amusement parks or whatever it may be um, that are more normal. Like how can we still Uh, be together, have fun, make memories, and make this not such a time. I tend to be a glass half full, so make this not so much be a time about the sorrow of what we can't do, but what can we do and have fun with it. Right. That's a great attitude. Uh, What's your favorite band? Um, I think I would probably say Matthew West. And so, like I said, we're very involved in our church and we listen to a lot of contemporary Christian music and things, but Matthew West, uh, I could probably do a whole podcast on that as well, but he, his music really went through our whole transplant journey. Um, and the things that came up during our transplant journey and, um, were kind of put in our face were amazing that I can't even explain but he really helped and his music really helped us through that journey and then since then I've just uh, loved him and he's been hooked (laughs) yes so would you say then that faith really has been your your rock through all of this yeah um, personally I don't know how else I would do it and that's my my personal faith coming through but yes whether it be through the church helping us through prayer and my faith in um you know this whole process and what's actually you know happening and how we're all related and um our our stories are linked together um that is something that we definitely have leaned on and now that we are seven months or seven years post transplant um looking back through all of those years it is amazing to see the intertwining of alan's family even before he was our our transplant um donor Mm -hmm. um there were things that were very similar. We lived in the same town at one point and didn't even know. And so there are just things that happened. Yes. Wow. (laughs) There are things that have happened in our life that I feel like our faith is a thing that, you know, has intertwined all of that together. Wow. Wow. So, so when you're feeling overwhelmed, what do you do? What's your escape? You're feeling stressed out. What, 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 what do you do? How do you try to? Um, oftentimes, uh, if I'm stressed, oftentimes I go sit on the back porch, especially if the weather is nice. Um, sit on the back porch, maybe turn on some music, and either just listen to the birds. Um, you know, sometimes I'm literally just sitting there with my eyes closed, just absorbing the sunshine and the birds and the breeze and things. Uh, but sometimes just having a moment 
do it myself. Um, anybody with kids know that that's few and far between, um, mm -hmm. but <laughs> whether it's the kids or transplant or just life, um, I think just getting outside, I love the mountains, I love the trees and things, and kind of stepping away from whether it be the dishes right now or life in general for a weekend getaway, just stepping out of that and just taking a moment to reappreciate the things that are around us. That's what kind of fuels me and lets me go back into, you know, the things that are going on and um, come back in with a, a little bit fresher of an attitude. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, so as we close out the show today, one thing that um, I like to do for each show is to take a moment to honor someone. And today I'd like to honor Alan and Alan's family, Alan being Joe's donor uh, his family, and just all of the donors uh, and their families who've made that decision to help other people. So I'd like to close the show out that way. And also, again, just to say thank you so much. Thank you just for sharing uh, a part of your life with us and, and what this has been like. And, you know, I just, if there's any resources that you know of that you think would be helpful please feel free to share those at this time. I always encourage people to visit our website at lifepassiton.org. Uh, there's a lot of great resources there. But yeah, I don't know if you have any, any that you think would be helpful as well. Yeah, so when we were... We were starting this transplant process, things like OPOs, like Life Center, were not on my radar. And so I didn't know I should reach out to things like Life Center or, you know, things in your area. So the people that really helped us at the beginning of this was the the hospital where Joe received his transplant, the the people that are there and just talking to them. So they have psychologists, they have social workers, they have um, people that can help you. Um, and being very transparent with them and just opening up to the things you're concerned about, the questions that you have, they really were a great resource to point us in the right direction. They didn't always know the answer, um, but they were great at pointing us to where we needed to go and the next step that we needed to take. So I would say, again, open communication with those folks. And then now that we know, you know, me on the other side of it, now that we know that there are this, this fabulous community of transplant recipients and donors and families, um, try to get plugged in, try to get to know some of these people, not only will your life be enriched by hearing all of these stories that you hear, but it is a time when you can lean on somebody's shoulder and say, I'm having a bad day, or I don't know what to do, or this is really fabulous. And so yeah. I would, I would, suggest those two things. And that you brought up a good point um, for our listeners. So there, there are 58 organizations across the country that are what we call organ procurement organizations. And all of them have really strong support within them. Um, and there is that community, as Chris was saying, of transplant recipients and donor families. And so if you're a person who was recently transplanted or you're waiting for a transplant or just you know that that's going to be coming, I would encourage you to find out where your local organ procurement organization is and just um, plug into them and see what opportunities they have for you to get involved. Um, I think that could really be helpful for the, the person um, as well as their care, their caregiver and, and the rest, you know, the family, um, just to get plugged into and learn more about it. So thank you for that. 
Well, Chris Grigsby, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You were amazing. I appreciate the the ability to share our story. Absolutely. And I just, again, I appreciate you just taking the time to do this. This was super fun. Yes. <laughs> thank you. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Right, take care. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Life Center. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor? You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the National Transplant Waiting List for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year, and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life Pass It On for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.